Well, I'm sure everyone that comes here says what a privilege it is to be here. And uh, I feel like one who, not only a privilege, but a joy to be in the home of Cheryl and Mark Hatfield and to uh, almost feel like, uh, wow, don't be so nice to us. Uh, we are very thankful for uh, Grace Taylor's as it is known, and we are thankful for the reading of God's Word that we had this morning of Romans chapter 11. And as we think of this amazing promise that's set forth there, the promised revival, I do believe it's one of the most important missionary passages in all of Scripture. And though it has been so often one in which people, it seemed like they have spent their time arguing about some details of it, and we have really missed a thrust that there really is something amazing of a promised revival that is here. So I do say it's one of the most important missionary passages in all of Scripture. So when we come to it, I would have us to realize that it's needful for our day. We've had just in these very days of, of uh, 10 people murdered because they were black. We had 19 children murdered mercilessly horrible two teachers killed in the same room right there with these children the horror of things that are going on we read in Romans chapter 1 these familiar words in Romans 1 beginning there with uh, verse 26 God speaks and says because of this God gave them over to shameful lust even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Then he goes on speaking of how there was, in verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And certainly as we read through this passage of Scripture we realize it's describing our own culture, our own land, the United States of America. And I believe as evangelicals, as those who believe in the great Reformation doctrines of God's word, salvation by grace, we are those who need great encouragement. I believe there's been an eclipse of the hope of the power of the gospel in our day. And so when we come to this passage, I'm only not having preached from this passage, at, at this message ever before, uh, trying to see the whole of this chapter together. I would ask you to look and see with me that God plans the salvation of all his people, Jews and Greeks, Gentiles. He plans their salvation. And it's something that is certain. And secondly, that we really understand how that God is invigorating the one olive tree. God's good at multitasking. It's not just women that are good at doing that. It's God who is multitasking with all the nations and all the languages and all the tribes and all the amazing ways in which God is working with the different peoples of the earth. Jews in a very particular way, but with the same gospel. And then last we'll look at the promised revival 
that's here written for us to be encouraged with. So I would ask you to look with me just at those first verses that are there in Romans 11, that God plans the salvation of his people. We read, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know that what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So we pause there just for a moment and to realize, I believe if we go back into the whole of Scripture, there is this tremendous amount of promise all through from Genesis to Malachi, all through Scripture of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. It's telling us that God is going to do a great thing through the Jews to all the nations. That there's going to be this knowledge of the glory of the Lord that will cover the earth. And you can go to book after book and there's something as God uses his people to spread that light to go into the darkness of the nations. The very purpose was that there would be this great work. And yet, as we come to this passage uh, and look back and see how, yes, the promise was to Abraham and that through that seed which we see as Christ that was to be the blessing to all the nations. Yes, we have that. Today, what's the date today? June the 5th, a special Sunday. It's Pentecost Sunday. Do you know something about Pentecost? You read in the book of Acts chapter 2, and it's really reflecting something very important. God planned the salvation of his people. It wasn't that somehow or another, when we have the day of Pentecost, that everybody there is jumping and up and down and they're praying for days and days and days and finally they prayed hard enough, jumped high enough, prayed loud enough, and finally God blessed them. If you look carefully at Acts chapter 2, what were they doing when the Holy Spirit came with power upon them? They were seated. It says they were sitting. Now, I'm not saying we only get blessed by God when we're sitting. But my point is that God had planned the salvation of his people. There were 3,000 saved. There were those from all the different languages. There was that sign that he made that now I'm not going to speak just merely in Hebrew to my people. It's going to be in all the languages. All the tongues will be to know the gospel, the good news. Yes, good news. And it was God's plan, just as he had after those seven weeks after the Passover, and one more day, Pentecost, 50 days, and there comes God's blessing. The harvest begins. The first fruits have been given, and now the harvest is going to continue in power and glory. 
God planned that day. His plan will be accomplished. And yet as we read these first verses, there is something here that is really something of shocking to us. There is what we might speak of, of those who rejected, yes. But I think it's important as we see this moment of Pentecost, that God has been doing this work of Pentecost all down through the ages. He showed us the sign that his gospel is not just for the Jews, but for all nations. And yes, we know the rejection of the Jews, and then that resulted in the gospel going to the Gentile world. Good news to how many here are Jews? Could you raise your hand just to see? We have one. I think most all of us here are pagans, Gentiles, outside the special group. But God showed that through his people, the Jews, came the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his his coming has been a blessing for all people. As they turned from the Jews, they went to the Gentile nations. In history, and it's good for us to look back, and as uh, Hebrews 13, 7 tells us that we are to honor those who have gone before us and preach the word of God to us. William Carey, we often mention as one who is as the father of modern missions. And certainly he preached that sermon in a context of what we might call hyper-Calvinism. It was almost like, well, God can reach the, the tribes, the people, the great nations of, of the world without your help, without using you as means. And there was something of that hyper-Calvinism. God is going to do it even without means. And certainly the scriptures teach us that God uses means to take his gospel to all peoples. So William, William Carey, in that famous sermon, I believe is in 1793, he preached that sermon from Isaiah 54. Turn there with me again to look at those words of Isaiah 54. And there we read really the sermon, his text is there before us. Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out, stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. And there he had his first point, that of attempt great things for God. And then his second point from verse 3, Expect great things from God, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. That sermon was just to a small group. But those pastors responded. They gave their gifts. They put it in a snuff box. And, and uh, you know, what meager funds were there, but resulting that they were those who were sent out as missionaries to India. William Carey leaving England and never to return. And we talked about Carey last night and how many different areas he was involved in and all that he was with that using the means of everything from biology and all the different areas of plants and botany and working and 
seeing the word of God published in 40 different languages and the work that he was involved with. His great desire was, yes, as we would have as our motto in Spanish, el evangelio para cada rincón de la vida, the gospel for every corner of life. Cover the earth with this message. Use all the means that God gives us to cover the earth with the gospel. There was this great hope that we would take the gospel to all the peoples of India, to the tribes, to the other peoples. All the earth would have the gospel sent to them because of these promises in scripture. But I believe something took place in that 19th century. It has been called the eclipse of the hope. The hope began to be instead of taking the gospel to the world it was that everything in this world is just dying and dead and the only hope we as Christians can possibly have is the second coming of Christ and that is the blessed hope that is the great hope we look forward to his coming and a new heaven and a new earth good news but there's also a promise that the gospel is to go to the nations the tribes the peoples of the earth with power and the working of the Holy Spirit. And so with that eclipse that took place, there really was a change of the, the atmosphere among many churches, almost like, yes, we'll send out an individual missionary here and there, but there wasn't any something of that grandeur and greatness of the glory of the gospel covering the earth. I remember in my university days having something of that hope of reformation and revival just pulsating in my very way of thinking and and the president of this particular university said the days of reformation and revival have passed we might see something individually or in a church and here and there but our only hope really is the second coming of christ a secret rapture and everybody's going to be taken out of this terrible ugly world and i'd have to say it twisted me inside I read there's great hope through the gospel to take that word to the tribes, to the peoples, to the nations, to the languages of the world. There came to be, I believe, something that's kind of a strange thing, almost this uh, what we might call uh, end times emphasis, conferences everywhere almost on end times one particular man even in our days he set a particular date and he set that date that's when christ is going to come again and everything else you just forget about it give us your money our radio station will broadcast the gospel it'll get to all these different places and people they emptied their 401ks and they sent it to the radio station and when it didn't happen he said well it was a spiritual coming i'm not sure what that exactly meant but then in five months, he said, he will really come again. Send more money. We need to see a sense of how, yes, there needs to be a strategy of taking the gospel. It takes, yes, the gospel, that pure water, water of the gospel is free. It's gloriously free, but it's costly of years, not just finances, but it's years of work, of preparation, learning languages, taking that gospel to the people who are without that word. It's costly. It takes, yes, planning and work to take the gospel to the nations of the earth. So I believe that there was something that took place with that concern almost 
loss, I should say, of a, of a hope of a glory of the gospel covering the earth. It was eclipsed. And it was blocked out. Almost to say, as Paul has here with that question, has God's plan failed? All these promises, has his people been rejected forever? And of course, that's what Paul is dealing with in Romans 9, 10, and 11. They are not rejected. God is yet to do a work among them. He is speaking to us. He's going to do a work among the languages of this earth, among the peoples, among the tribes, among, yes, the nations. There is a work yet to be done that God will do. What is God doing? Is there no real gospel hope? Only the second coming and everything else is just waste of time? We come to the word of God and realize that he is doing things that are very much to awaken us that we are to be involved in this work of the gospel. The second thing I believe we have in this passage in a major way is that God invigorates the one olive tree. He invigorates the olive tree. Read with me from verse 13 in Romans 11. We read these words again. He says, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now, pause with me a moment. He is at work in a special way among the Gentiles as he is at work among the Jews, both peoples. There's an inner reaction, almost what we might say, a ricocheting back and forth between them. Notice in the passage, the Gentiles are this wild olive shoot grafted in. Now they share in this nourishing sap. Verse 17, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. There's something special here. There's an inner reaction. The Gentiles are going to be put into this olive tree. Now, the olive tree, if you visit Israel and, and you know they, they list the different things that are kind of their special uh, plants and trees and everything. And the olive tree, of course, even the very selling of the oil to the nations was how they built uh, financially the Solomon's Temple. There's a background to all that. This uh, oil is almost like... Uh, you know, the oil that was used to anoint the prophet, the oil used to anoint the priest, the oil used to anoint their kings. This oil from that tree had of great importance, not just cooking oil or, or oil that would be used for the lamps, but here the people of God are to be part of that tree, not just Jews, but grafted in Gentiles. And so we have those who are the very people of God, Jews and Gentiles, are joined to the root, connected to the living 
sap that's there that gives nourishment and life. Broken off branches, unbelieving Israel, Jews who are in unbelief, natural branches, the wild branches, the Gentiles, and maybe just to say a word, I think almost taking that expression, wild branches, broken off, but they can be grafted back in if you're here as a young person and you've, you've been somewhat far from the things of God and maybe to realize you've been wild and wrong. Wild branches can be grafted back in to the tree and enjoy the nourishment of the sap and real satisfaction of life itself. It's good. It's good. So as we come to this to realize there is rest to be grafted in as wild olive branches. Now, uh, some have, uh, some of our liberal scholars, they've come to this passage and they said, we've got a city slicker here, Paul. He's kind of daffy with this. What are you doing? You don't graft in, you don't graft in wild branches. What you always do, you graft in that which is the good branches. But all the way back to uh, Sir William Ramsey as an archaeologist and those of our own day, they note that in the working with olive trees, one olive tree that is dying, if you graft in a wild, wild branch, a wild shoot into this tree, you invigorate the sap, the root itself. And it causes it to be enlivened and to be invigorated. The Apostle Paul wasn't as dumb as some think he was. Amazing, his knowledge there. To invigorate an olive tree which is dying, what do you do? You graft into the tree a shoot of wild olive so that the sap of the tree ennobles this wild branch and the tree then bears fruit again. This tree is talking to us. We've been grafted in, Gentiles, to make this tree grow and produce fruit. And yes, Jews can be re-grafted in again. And he is doing that work. The tree says, grafting into me the wild branches, Gentiles, I'm invigorated to grow and produce fruit and oil in abundance. God is multitasking. He's invigorating his, his people. There's a work that God is doing in such a way that we're all surprised with it. We would say, well, that's not the way to do it. What happened here? God failed. No, God didn't fail. It's that he has different levels that he is at work. There's a beauty to what he is doing. The tree says, even to those who are outsiders, you belong as you're grafted into this. As you're joined to the tree, you belong Gentiles, there's no place for boasting. In your unbelief, you'll be broken off too. The only way we can have that real wonderful union with Christ is to be in the tree. God's plan has not failed, but it has a more glorious, invigorating story of Jews and Gentiles, how God is using them one with another. It's, it's a beautiful story. The tree invites all. It's a missionary tree in one sense. Yes, nations, languages, tribes, peoples, illegals, adulterers, 
criminals. Some of the most wonderful ministry that I have had is the constant correspondence and telephone calls and visits with prisoners in Chuckawalla Prison, just the other side of Blythe, California. Uh, amazing stories of these guys. They're in the shoe. They're in solitary confinement for three years. A guard puts a Bible in the prison cell, and the guy is so evil that he has to be there because he's already murdered two or more people. He's, he's without hope. There's nothing in life that has meaning. He's without any hope. For a year, he walks around the Bible. He won't touch it. <laughs> Somewhere after that year, he picks it up and begins to read. And two years later, when he comes out, he's come to be found of God's grace. And he's preaching and teaching. He's with theological questions that I need to look up to try to answer. God is at work in strange places. And this invitation goes to all. There's no place for hyper-Calvinism. We invite all peoples at all levels, all places. A cold Calvinism, I believe, is really what I would call the ultimate oxymoron. If there isn't a passion with the grace of God that's come into our hearts and lives, how can we even claim to be Christians? Grace. God passionately invigorates his church with sinners, wild branches, grafted in to the one olive tree, Jesus Christ. That's the most amazing tree in all the earth. Nothing else is comparable to it. I've seen the giant uh, redwoods and, and the old grizzly, and, and uh, they're, they're magnificent, but this tree goes beyond all of them. It's the great tree in all the earth, this one olive tree. This is the missionary tree. But let me just take up this one last element here, that God not only plans the salvation of his people and invigorates this olive tree, but he also, yes, promises revival. Notice with me these verses. Romans 11, verse 11, we read, again I ask, did they stumble, the Jews, so as to fail beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. And then verse 12. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentile, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? Do you get it? If their rejection resulted in blessing to the Gentile world, how much more will their acceptance result in even greater blessings to the Gentile world. There's a relationship with the two. Well, we come down here to verse 25 of the chapter, and uh, I'm sure your pastors uh, expound through this maybe 15 or 20 sermons, but bear with me just these few words as we read from verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part 
until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And then he speaks of this redemption in such a beautiful way. So what we have here in this dismal world of shootings and war and Russia, the Ukrainian, all the things that are going on in Africa, the ugliness of our own culture right now, we have something, yes, a reality of the hardening of the Jews, and that's a reality that they're, even with the reality of the Holocaust and all of this, there is pain and a hardening. We have think the need to have a greater burden for the Jewish people, to have a greater outreach to the Jewish people. God, I believe, commands us to take the gospel to the Jews first. There is a responsibility upon us to take that word to the Jewish people. I was uh, reading with our pastor in these days one or two of these uh, stories of this old volume from 1817 of uh, Samuel Fry. He was uh, a Jew that came to Christ and spent his life taking the gospel to these rabbis and Jews all over Europe. And just to read some of these accounts of how the great difficulties and sufferings and they came to faith in Christ and lost families and businesses and economically were destroyed. And yet they had a joy weeping to know their Messiah has come and trusting in him. And how I would urge all of us to have that greater burden and heart for the Jewish people. There is no final rejection. God is still at work in their hearts and lives. There's something real taking place. We thank God for Baruch Maoz, who is putting the New Testament into modern Hebrew and working with that. We thank God for David Sadak ministering there in Israel with all the printing of great books and literature being sent out in Hebrew and Arabic and yes reaching the Jewish people we believe there's something connected through this passage of what we might even call a chain of blessings of Jews rejecting and resulting in blessing to the Gentiles of Gentiles coming more and more of the tribes and peoples in a full way coming to him and that resulting in even greater blessing to the Jews and there's a working together of these things through this passage yes the deliverer comes the deliverer comes and it speaks of all being saved not something of a political or national thing but through the one gospel the only way they can be saved is through that one gospel we have in our day some that are called Christian theologians because of the admonitions and anger of Jews who certainly gone through the Holocaust would say that it is wrong to evangelize the Jews leave them as Jews in their Judaism and they have the covenant from God and if they keep that they'll be fine and then there's another track for those who aren't Jews and they can come to faith in Christ well I would say with great emphasis there is only one olive tree the Lord Jesus Christ and all must come into him all must be grafted into him 
as Peter preaching to the Jews in Acts 4.12. I think we could say it as a memory verse. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Christ and Christ alone. For Jews and Gentiles, there's no two-track salvation, but one olive tree, Jesus Christ. And yes, we need to, I believe, re-examine that great hope that God is doing a work among Jews and Gentiles, and it's yet to grow in a greater way. As the weeds grow, the wheat also grows. And there is yet to be great works among the tribes and the nations and the peoples of this world. And we read that hope in the Old Testament and in the New. And those who've gone before us, yes, William Carey, yes, the Puritans, yes, they had this great hope that God was to do this wonderful work. And we're seeing something that in our day. I believe the theologians that God is raising up in our day in Latin America, in Africa, in other parts of the world, they're going to take leadership in missions. We are to be those who, yes, have that hope restored to us if we've lost it, that God is yet doing a work. So just a couple moments here with some lessons some missionary lessons for the 21st century. Three of them, very quickly. One, attempt great things for God. And when I speak of that, there is action here. Last night, we spoke about the means, all the possible means we are to use. There's a radio program that just started this last week in Carlos Paz on Tuesdays and on Fridays, an hour broadcasting. We need to use all the means to bring forth the gospel. Again, I would emphasize, it's not that all these different uh, things of the internet are the evil of our day. We use these things as means to bring forth the gospel. Yes, there's garbage everywhere, but the gospel overcomes even garbage. It is powerful. And so that we are to be those who use the means that God has given us. In Latin America, we have a, a editorial a, a poema, which is a publishing company. And we've seen now just the last year, something like 100,000 gospel books go out all over Latin America to these 20 different nations. We have work to do. We can't just sit here. we got to get beyond the four walls. There's a glory of the knowledge of God to be spread to the nations in our very day. I love to tell the story of Raymond Lowell. No one here has probably even heard of Raymond Lowell. He lived in the 13th century, and he was uh, uh, in the Isle of Mallorca, just, beyond, just out there from Spain. And uh, he had this novel idea. No, the whole approach to all the Arabs was you need to sharpen your sword to kill these Arabs. He had the novel idea of learning Arabic so we could share with him the love of Christ. That resulted in Paris, Oxford, Cambridge, other universities starting departments of language to teach Hebrew, to teach Arabic, 
to teach these languages. It was part of that strategy to take the gospel to these people, not with a sword, but with the love of Christ. Raymond Lowell wrote some 400 books. He was martyred. But I believe his testimony is an important one for our day, that instead of killing Muslims with the sword, the action was to learn the Arabic language to tell them of the love of Jesus. Seeing is not believing. We can understand things, but it takes obeying to show that we truly do believe these things. And so I would ask us to attempt great things for our God. Secondly, to expect great things from our God. Yes. Uh, let me just read a quote here I have from uh, old Thomas Boston. Maybe some of you have read his human nature in its fourfold state, but uh, he was one who believed in seeing the gospel go to all peoples. He wrote, There is a day coming in which there shall be a national conversion of the Jews or Israelites. The now blinded and rejected Jews shall at length be converted into the faith of Christ and join themselves to the Christian church. 1716. They had a burden to take the gospel, a longing to see them grafted in again to the olive tree. I do think that there's been something almost spread in many of our churches because we don't agree with how some people have the Jews kind of as a, almost a special gospel and they're special apart from the gospel itself and there's certain teachings all surrounding them and the movements sometimes all around uh, messianic movements and different things. We've almost kind of backed off from having a real love and burden for the Jewish people and we don't read Romans 9 one through three, and have a passion for taking the gospel to them. And I believe scripture demands that we have a passion to take the gospel to them. As reformed, I believe we've lost this expectation of the hope that, that Edwards and Carey and these great men had to take the gospel to all peoples everywhere. So little action. May God give us that heart to expect great things for him and then finally just a brief word it is june the 5th pentecost sunday could it be that we would understand afresh that we are those who are to share as christians with all peoples in the nourishing sap from the olive root the tree calls to all the nations all the tribes all the languages, all the different peoples of the earth to come to the olive tree and be grafted in and be nourished by the sap, the life-giving roots of Jesus Christ. We have a privilege to be involved in doing this. Can you think, as a young person, you're 19 years old, and you kind of hope to live maybe not as long as some of us, but, uh, you know, another 40, 50 years, what would you do with those 40 years? And as you would look back from eternity and think, what can I do with my life that will count for the glory of God and count for eternity? And so, yes, to live for Christ as in construction. Yes, to live for Christ in that whole world of computers. But maybe also to take the gospel to a people who've never heard the name of Jesus. 
to be involved with holding the rope as others go, or maybe going, yes, and going to identify with them and bring them the love of Christ. What a privilege we all have to be co-workers. Almost we hesitate to say it. (laughs) To be co-workers with God and seeing his glory manifest in this world. Wasn't there something just powerful as our pastor read those words? All the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Or from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. May God empower our hearts Pound upon us the privilege we have of making known the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Let us pray.